Welcome back to the Tasty Morsels of Critical Care podcast and today we're going to talk about some of the basics of some of our favourite drugs in intensive care, the diuretics. As always this is planned to be a very brief overview of essentials rather than anything of a deep dive. As a starter pretty much all diuresis is conducted by convincing the kidney to lose more sodium. Lose the sodium and the water will follow. So first on the list is of course furosemide. This is one of the commonest drugs we use in intensive care and we really should at this stage just be mixing it with the NG feed and maybe the propofol given how commonly we use it. So furosemide is one of several loop diuretics and by loop we mean its site of action is at the loop of Henley, site of the much loved countercurrent multiplier system. In particular furosemide acts by blocking the sodium potassium 2 chloride pump in the thick ascending loop of Henley. And this sounds all very technical and impressive, but how does blocking said channel cause an increase in the wee-wee in the bag? Ultimately, you end up with a lot more sodium arriving at the collecting duct. The presence of extra sodium in the collecting duct um, decreases the osmotic gradient between the medulla and the tubule, and as a result, less water is reabsorbed and more comes out in the urine. <coughs> Ferrosamide is normally a highly protein-browned uh, molecule, and as a result, it can't get into the nephron through the glomerulus, which in the healthy state won't let large things like albumin get through. Therefore, to get to its site of action in the loop of Henley, it gets secreted into the proximal tubule and washed along with the ultrafiltrate towards the loop. This feature of secretion into the proximal tubules is one of the things that we see with the furosemide stress test. So this is typically used to predict the need for renal replacement therapy in AKI. So a lack of response to a, hel- a healthy, in other words, like a, a one big per keg dose of furosemide tells us that the proximal tubules are in big trouble and there may well be a need for renal replacement therapy. In terms of side effects, the ones that are perhaps clinically most apparent to us are the electrolyte losses, so primarily potassium and magnesium, and hypernatremia, as the water loss is typically in excess of the sodium loss. There is a corresponding contraction alkalosis that is nicely explained at the deranged physiology post, linked below, or in audio form over at the Curious Clinicians podcast. I think in terms of longer term side effects, the one worth knowing about is ototoxicity, and that's commonly seen with high doses of furosemide, especially in conjunction with one of our other favourite ototoxic drugs, the aminoglycosides. Look, to be honest, only our most chronically critically ill patients will stay with us long enough um, for us to be able to, for them to complain of and for us to pick up the ototoxicity. Next on the list are our thiazide diuretics. So typically for our local practice, that means metolazone. Thiazides work just a little bit further down the windy nephron river from the loop of Henley at the distal convoluted tubule. Once there, um, thiazides inhibit the sodium chloride transporter system, again meaning increased delivery of sodium to the distal tubule where most of the water reabsorption occurs. Thiazides aren't especially powerful as a diuretic strategy, but they are additive from a sodium wasting and hence water losing perspective as you're targeting a different part of the nephron. I find that metolazone often gets added when you still want the diuresis, but you're a bit worried about the rising sodium. The idea is that you get the sodium content of the urine to the sweet spot where you lose equal amounts of salt and water and the serum sodium concentration stays steady. I think like most things in ICU, this is likely um, physiological wishful thinking rather than good science, but it does keep us amused while the disease process typically resolves on its own. Continuing our journey through the nephron, we have the aldosterone receptor antagonist, a class largely occupied um, from our perspective by spironolactone. So spiro, um, to its friends, works by blocking the very important enac or epithelial sodium channels, especially in the, in the collecting duct. When these are blocked, sodium no longer is reabsorbed in the collecting duct and hey presto, water follows the sodium out of the nephron into the ureters. 
The main side effect of the increased concentration of sodium in the collecting duct will be a reluctance to secrete potassium into the duct, thus preventing potassium wastage and ultimately increasing the serum potassium. It is not an especially effective diuretic in terms of producing volumes of urine, but more importantly, it does have a significant long-term mortality benefit in patients with heart failure, so unlike crowd-favorite furosemide. Now, of course, it's difficult to extrapolate findings from massive kind of outpatient cardiology heart failure trials to ventilated patients with a dodgy ticker with multi-organ failure in the ICU, but there you go. The final drug we'll mention today is acetazolamide. So it has its site of action way back in the early nephron at the proximal convoluted tubule, and it's a carbonic anhydrase inhibitor, unsurprisingly inhibiting the action of carbonic anhydrase. From the name carbonic anhydrase, we can hopefully deduce that it inhibits the process of removing water from carbonic acid. Ultimately, this impairs bicarb reabsorption at the proximal tubule, creating a scenario somewhat similar to a renal tubular acidosis. The drug clearly causes a diuresis and does indeed increase the sodium wasted in the urine, though the precise mechanism of how it does that does not seem to be entirely clear. My anecdotal experience when taking this stuff climbing Kilimanjaro nearly 20 years ago suggests that indeed it does make you want to pee a lot more. There are a few small trials looking at its use in the ICU, none of which are hugely compelling for um, benefit, but I find myself reaching for it when the frusamide-driven alkalosis is causing issues, or you're playing a game of Diuresis Jedi and you want to complete all the steps um, to get the nephron bomb. Again, if you want to know what this is, also linked in the show notes. So for reading on this, the, the overview of diuretic page on the range physiology is just absolutely perfect. Um, there's the Curious Clinicians podcast on contraction alkalosis, and there's a nice little paper by Mullins and Alls, um, um, related to kind of um, renal sodium avidity and heart failure, and that's uh, worth a read as well. Okay, thanks for listening.